we just recorded with a really awesome guest. I'm not gonna lie, I was uh, very excited. She is a motivational speaker, founder of 10,000 Pencils, and the counselor from season one and two of the Netflix show Last Chance You, uh, Brittany Wagner. Um, yeah. Yeah, I was a big fan of that show, so that was very exciting. Like, it's one of those guests where you're not even sure. You kind of, as you're doing the interview, it's like, how in the world did we even get a chance to have a conversation with her? You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, it was just a lot well, of fun. She, she did say that she, she's been bored during quarantine, so that, that helped us. <laughs> yeah, after, after, after the show. Us. Yeah. <laughs> we, got, we got a little lucky in booking her. Yeah. She explained that afterwards, but uh, we were laughing about yeah. that. It was fun. But yeah, she's incredible. Yeah. If, you ha- if you have seen the show, you know um, a little bit about her. And if you haven't seen the show, I would definitely recommend recommend go check going to check out uh seasons one and two of last chance you on netflix um but it, it's it was cool for me because everything you see on the show and you see her heart for the athletes and you see how much she just loves them it was the exact same person we were speaking with and um, yeah. she has some really powerful things to say um about you know what it should look like mentoring athletes and how you can connect with them um, and mm-hmm. then obviously today is june 9th so we're still in the midst of everything that's happened mm-hmm. and surrounding the death of George Floyd and the protests yeah. and the riots. And right. she had some really, really powerful things to say about all yeah. of that. So yeah, tor- yeah, towards the end. So, I mean, definitely listen to the whole thing. It, it just really, she gets into it and it's, it's a different perspective. And as an edu- from an education standpoint too, yeah. a, a perspective that I, I mean, I guess in the back of, the, of my mind knew already, but to hear her say it, it was just, it's just different. So definitely, um, if you're listening right now, um, listen to the whole thing, even if you have to stop it and come back to it, because it's really good. Yep, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, without further ado, uh, here is Brittany Wagner. See ya. See ya. Now it is time. Now it is time. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Character Combine. Character Combine. Yeah, you ready? Yeah, you ready? When he goes beyond the scoreboard, the scoreboard coaches, I want you to have the type of voice, type of voice that your athletes will hear decades later and still recognize the leadership that you hold in their life, in their life, in their life. Get this thing, get this thing started. Welcome to the Character Combine Podcast. I'm Josh Takimoto. And I am Deb McCollum. And uh, we have a very special guest today on our, our Zoom recording. Uh, she is a motivational speaker. She is the founder of 10,000 Pencils, and she was the academic athlete counselor from seasons one and two of the Netflix hit show, Last Chance You. It's Brittany Wagner. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we were really excited. I'm a big fan of Last, Last Chance You, and as we were talking before we started recording, um, everybody that was on the character combine team was also a big fan of the show, specifically of you because we felt like you were the uh, voice of reason amidst some, some of the chaos. So <laughs> we're just, we're honored to have you on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. I tried to be the voice of reason. Some days were better than others. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, we definitely want to get into that uh, for sure. But before we get started, Deb likes to have uh, three warm up questions for our guests. So okay. uh, take it away. Deb. All right. All right. Okay. So the first question um, well, I guess a, a pre-question to this question is, did you ever watch the show, The Amazing Race? Yes. I, okay. actually, I, I actually submitted video to be on it. <gasps> okay. Oh. So that's my next question is, who did you choose as your partner? My dad. That's, oh, oh, that is awesome. Nice. 
Okay, very cool. And then why and then and then why your dad? Like what are what are your attributes that would make you a good team? Okay, first of all, my dad is like super in shape. He's a marathon runner. Um wow. at the time we submitted the video, I think I was I was a lot younger and so was he, but um he was still running marathons and just in like just a endurance type guy. So I was like, okay, you know, <laughs> he'll help me out in that area. Um he's also a psychologist. So he is super like mind over matter, mentally tough and very even all the time. So I'm not like, I'm more, you know, high, (laughs) like I'm all in and emotional and I kind of have the mind over matter thing going, but I thought, okay, he'll, we'll balance each other out when we need that emotion and that like enthusiasm, I'll give it. (laughs) We just need to be calm and hold on to get through a situation. He'll have it. Yeah. So yeah, we, um, we sent a video. This was like right when it first came out. I mean, I want to say I was in college, but I don't know, but, um, we didn't get chosen. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no. That must be such a tough pro. Like I can't imagine how many applicants actually send and how they choose. I I'm not going to lie. My, my sister and I sent a video in like, I don't know, maybe like 10 years ago. And yeah, no, we didn't hear anything. <laughs> Nothing. Like, yeah, I was thinking about how long ago it was, and I'm yeah. how long ago it was because it was an actual VHS tape. Oh, <laughs> okay. Oh man, okay, all right. <laughs> like season wow. two. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's well, that's funny. cool. Well, well, that was the. I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. hijack your question a little bit. Okay. So, is that the only reality show that you've submitted a tape for, or have there yeah. been others? Just the Amazing yeah. Race. Okay. Just Amazing Race. Yeah. I, and I, I like I never set out to be famous. Like you know I, that wasn't my thing. Like I just wanted to do something with my dad that I thought yeah. would you know like be fun for us and kind of bond us. And I loved that show, and he liked the show too. And so I um tried out for it but it wasn't like I was trying to be famous and trying out for every show right (laughs) every show that was not my goal by any way that's awesome oh well then look at you now I know know. (laughs) (laughs) and then so okay so question number two is if you could pick an actress that most resembles you who would that be well, that's kind of funny um, because Courtney Cox. Oh, I completely be, forgot about that. Will be playing me in a <gasps> series coming out. Um, oh my gosh! So I have to choose her. Ooh, <laughs> um, yeah, crazy. I love her, and I think that she not just—I mean, we we don't look exactly alike, but we, we have similar features. Um, but I just think internally, you know, personality-wise, like she probably resembles me. I don't know a lot of other celebrities, but in knowing her, um, I feel like we are a lot alike. I have a lot of that Monica OCD, you know, (laughs) like she's very organized. She's a planner. She is very OCD. Like her house is just immaculate and mine's the same way. And so I feel like we, we are very similar. She's funnier than I am. She's got a quick wit, um, that I don't necessarily have. Um, and she's, I mean, she's gorgeous. So, but, but yeah, that's it. Courtney Cox. That's crazy. I can see that totally. Yeah. Oh yeah, for I sure. I can see it. Yeah. And it, in all my notes, I completely, that's the one thing I left out. I completely forgot about that. That's awesome. That's okay. There, yeah. Yeah. It's are there any, fun. are there any details you can share about that or is it still way too soon? 
Um, we're in the writing process, so we are currently writing um, a script, and um, that's about all I can share. But okay. <laughs> back, um, myself and Michael Strahan is also involved in the project, so um, oh, cool. the three of us are executive producers in the show. She'll be the only one that's actually starring in it, so she'll play me. Um, yeah, and it'll be a, it'll be a kind of a spinoff. It's not it's not a scripted Last Chance You by any stretch. Um, it'll be a spinoff about my experience just as professionally and personally. Um, mm -hmm. We'll go back to years before Netflix ever came in um, and kind of start from the beginning and work our way through just some of the stories that weren't told and then my personal life. And um, it'll be what we're calling a dramedy. So drama with some comedy. <gasps> nice. Really funny. And there's just some funny stuff. Look, when you work in college athletics at a junior college, like, it is funny. Like, it just is. <laughs> so we're going to play out some of the humor. and That is awesome. Really good. Wow. It's really good so far. And um, we've got a great okay. team of people and it's going to be fantastic. Yeah. That is awesome. That's exciting. Now, I'm looking forward to that for sure. Yeah. Now I know you probably can't say this, but like in terms of like a title for it, has that been established and then you just can't say it? like what it's going to be called? Yes. There is a title. Okay. I cannot say okay. but we do okay. have a title and it's, it's good. Yeah. Okay. Woo. Okay. We'll have to, we'll have to keep our listeners keep updated eyes. once that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I know this is Very so cool. tough because uh, a few episodes ago we had Anthony Robles who's, um, mm. he was born with one leg and he was a, um, Arizona state university wrestling champion. And so they just announced a little while ago that they're making a movie about him and he's working with the rock and, um, he could tell us a bunch of stuff, but he couldn't tell us the actor. So I feel like we're getting these pieces of information. I know. I want to know so badly. I know. I know. I have a hard time keeping my mouth shut. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm like overprotective of what I say because I'm scared I'm going to yeah. go too far. Yeah. 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 No, we get that for I get sure. That. I'm well, the thank you. Of the group. Well, there you go. <laughs> well, thanks for sharing that with us. So yes. that's super exciting. Very exciting. We're going to have to keep our eyes out. Um, and then the last warm up question. I, this is my staple question I ask every guest. Um, I call it your life song. So if you could pick a song that is out there in the world and you can, I mean, it doesn't have to be about your entire life, but maybe a season of your life that you're in right now that kind of describes it and that's like you're feeling it. What song would that be? Um, I think if I'm going like my whole life, it would probably be Girls Run the World. <laughs> Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, just because, I mean, Beyonce, well, because it's yeah. Beyonce, but because I, you know, I feel like I've always been in that, like the only girl in that man's world type scenario, you know, in college mm -hmm. when I majored in, um, sport communication, I was the first female. So I was like the only female in all my classes. And then as an academic counselor working in college athletics, I was usually the only female in the room. Like, I just feel like I'm all, I've kind of taken that role of being the only female <laughs> and oh. having to figure out like how to make that work and how, right. how to have the confidence as a female to think, to believe that like we can run the world, you know? And like, so yeah. I, I don't know. I used to listen to that song a lot because I would, like driving, you know, driving into work, I'd be in my car, like jamming to some girls run the world to give me some confidence to go in and that's awesome. actually try Love to it. do it. <laughs> so, Love it. Yeah. yeah. That's, that's a great choice. That's a good one. I might steal that one. That's my yeah, life song. That's a good, that's that's a good one. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, you survived the warm up question. So awesome job. 
Okay. <laughs> yeah. The yeah. hard part is over. It's stressful sometimes. Huh? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's stressful sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this press hour will be will be a lot easier, I'm sure. So, yeah. Um, we always like to start off with our guests, um, trying to find out a little bit about your background. Obviously, we've we know some of it from the show, but um, can you just kind of take us through the journey of where you started, how you grew up, and then how you got to the place you're at now? Yeah, I'm from Mississippi. So I lived in Mississippi my whole life. Um, and I family I'm from Mississippi. Um, nothing special there, but I went to Mississippi State University, state school there right near my hometown. Um, had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I was not, you know, people I think have this misconception of me being like this, I had it all planned out or being this super smart student that had it all together. And that is not accurate at all. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I really didn't even know where I wanted to go to college. I didn't have the confidence. Um, I wanted to go to Florida State, but I didn't have the confidence to go. I just thought, you know, there's so much, there was so much negativity growing up about our state, about Mississippi. And I started, I just believed it. Like, I, I remember thinking like, well, I'm smart enough to go to a Mississippi school, but I would, I'm not smart enough to go, you know, to Florida State or, or I'm good enough at, at this to do it here, but I would never be good enough to do it outside of the state. I just didn't, I just didn't believe in myself in that way. So not that, I mean, the Mississippi State is great and I'm so glad I went there, but um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't because I dreamed of going there. It was because I thought it was a place where I could maybe be successful. Um, but I went there and no idea what I wanted to do with my life. I was an undecided major until the day that they like said, you have no more classes to take. You have to choose a major. And I hated math. I scored so low on the ACT test in math that I had to take intermediate algebra before I could take college algebra. So I had no confidence in myself in math. And I was terrified of like, what uh, here I was having to make this decision about what I was going to do for the rest of my life. And I had no clue. Like I honestly had no idea what that was. And I remember my advisor handing me the catalog and just being like, well, go sit on this bench until you figure it out. <laughs> you have to decide today. Wow. And I'm like, Oh my God, the pressure. And so <laughs> I'm flipping through the catalog and like most of the majors don't even make sense to me. You know, it's like exercise physiology. I'm like, what is, I don't even know what that means or pedagogy. I'm like what is pedagogy? I mean, I, I just, I'm like, can they, what, why is this not in English? And so I just finally started skipping the titles of the majors and started looking at like the classes that I would have to take and thinking like, which ones draw my attention? And, and which ones are, don't have math? Like, where, where are the majors with the least amount of math? Because that's the only way I'll pass. Yeah. And a major with the least amount of math that had the most classes that kind of appealed to me was sport communication. Um, so I walked in and was like, this is what I wanted. This is it, sport communication. And my advisor said, well, I don't think you should major in that. And I oh, said, no. well, what? why? And they said, because you're a girl. And at the time, there weren't females in locker rooms. You know, Erin Andrews had not been born yet. And nobody else was going in. They weren't allowing women in locker rooms. And you just didn't have the, the 
there weren't females in sports, you know, standing on the mm -hmm. sidelines like there are today. And so she, my advisor was just like, I just don't, you know, I don't know if there's going to be a job out there for you when you graduate in this, you might want to think about picking a major where there's going to be more availability for you to get a job. And I honestly don't know that it was because I had this empowerment. I think I just was like, I'm not, I, look, just, it's fine. <laughs> like I'm tired of flipping through the catalog. Like it'll be fine. <laughs> and I just said, no, it's, I got, I got this. Um, but I did, I had almost all my, I mean, I was one of very few females that were in the classes that I was taking. It was always athletes. You know, I walked in, there was always a room full of athletes and me. Um, <laughs> I did kind of get picked on at times. I mean, it was uncomfortable. And, um, and then I ended up getting my mat. I loved it though. Loved everything about it. Knew that like it was sports was something I wanted to go into um, I was a student worker in the athletic department the whole time. So I was getting all this experience in wow. different areas within the athletic department, really trying to figure out what it was that I loved. Graduated, went to get my master's degree, went to the athletic director and said, hey, I need a graduate assistantship so I don't have to pay for school. My parents, I'm off the payroll. And the athletic director said, we've got one left and it's in the athletic academic office. And I was like, I didn't even know, I was like, I don't even know what that is, but okay, you know, <laughs> I'll take it. <laughs> and I walked in and I, for the first time, I didn't even know that that existed. Um, I was a huge college football fan, but I had no idea there were people behind the scenes, you know, making these guys go to class and like making sure they were doing their academics. I just thought everybody did handle it themselves. And I walk in and there's all these counselors and they're, working with these students, there's tutoring going on, there's, and I just was in love. I mean, from the day one, I just ate it up. And so I worked there as a graduate assistant and got hired full time eventually. And um, I was working in the SEC and the, in my opinion, in the best conference in the country with football and men's basketball. I mean, I, you know, I just was like living the dream, I thought. And then, um, I was the low man on the totem pole though. Like I had no, <laughs> no authority whatsoever. Um, but it was great. I was learning a lot of what to do and learning a lot of what not to do by watching the different advisors and counselors. And yeah, I worked there for a while. And then I got a call from the president of East Mississippi asking me to come start the program at East Mississippi. And, and I was there for eight years the last two obviously were shown on Netflix. So, and here I am. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. crazy. Journey. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I know. I just, when you, when you said that your counselor said you can't do that cause you're a girl, like my, crazy. I like, yeah, my heart <laughs> just like dropped when you said that. I've been told that a lot. I mean, not in that way, but I can remember right. in meetings um, as a female and, and having people, throw the little darts. <laughs> yeah. Know, I, I had a coach one time um, tell me, I was in a room full of coaches. I was the only female. And I had a coach tell me that I was too emotional um, because I was a woman and that they should have hired a man. Um, so, you know, things like that were said to me mm -hmm. throughout my career. And, and, you know, I think there was a moment where I believed it. Like there were mm -hmm. times where I would believe it and think like, I remember thinking like, well, okay, if they want me to be a man, then how do I act like a man? Like, how would a man do this? 
And so I would go in meetings and, and like work on like not showing emotion or not, you know, just being stoic or I would, I don't know. I just started thinking that in order to be good at it, I had to be like a man. Right. Um, and then I think it finally hit me one day that, that if I would just be myself, which meant being a woman, that it would all kind of click. And the emotion, I think, I think it played out because I think people love me and I was effective in that job because I was emotional mm-hmm. and I was passionate yeah. about it. Right. And I was that way because I am a female. And, and, you know, and so I think the lesson of that story is be you, you know, and, right. and if everyone else can't accept that and adjust to that and go somewhere else, you know, because you're not, sure. you're being you, you're not the problem. It's everybody mm-hmm. else that is. Yeah. So, yeah. 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 That's, awesome. That's good well, advice. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Well, I feel like it's, it's so like what you're saying is so clear in the show too, because, you know, you have these guys that, you know, ha- are having academic or some emotional, you know, struggles and, you know, all day they're with their coaches, their male coaches, and they're hearing, you know, these ideas or concepts from that perspective. And then they come into your office and you see a whole different side of them. And like you said, it's because of the emotion that you can bring out of them. And it's like, why wouldn't you find value in that? It's just, it's a very strange thought to me. Yeah. You know, the other interesting thing that I started figuring out is a lot of college athletes, um, you know, that I worked with had some kind of issue with a man in their life, like mm-hmm. abandonment issues. Their fathers had abandoned them or, or, or somebody had abused, there had been some abuse, there had been something there and there was a block of, of that male authoritative figure yeah, that right. they, would, they would play the game, but they wouldn't connect because there wasn't trust there and the trust, there wasn't trust there just because you were a man and there were some childhood issues with men. So I felt a lot of times that being a female, I, I had a strength that a man wouldn't have right. because a lot of those same guys had connected with an aunt or a mom or a sister, there was a strong positive female role model in their life. There just wasn't a strong male role model in their life. Mm. And so they were more open to connecting with a female in the first place. Um, And so, yeah, I think that if coaches had been smart, they would have realized (laughs) that having a female in that role probably was a positive um, because of that reason alone. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's crazy how in the coaching world, um, it's easy to underestimate that, that aspect of connecting and, and, you know, relationships. And like, we always talk about the different aspects of this coach can connect with this kid and this coach can connect with this other kid just for different reasons. And I, I, I'm a high school teacher, so I see that a lot too. Like I'll see even, um, like, you know, like you said, like a, a male, like maybe high school student, not get along with a male teacher and then they'll send them to me. And then vice versa for girls. Sometimes right. the girls yeah. won't get along yeah. with me and then I got to send them to a different, a guy teacher just to like kind of, Hey, can you talk to her? You know? Yeah. And so in different roles, it makes a difference and it does depend on their background and you know, the things that they've been through. Yeah. Past experiences, I think mm-hmm. are key to everybody and, and our yeah. past experiences are key to our current experiences, yeah. you know, and just how we view them or how we react to them for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of along those same lines, you're seeing, especially at that college level, you're seeing multiple athletes who obviously come from multiple backgrounds and have, um, multiple things that they're, you know, trying to achieve and that they might be struggling with. How difficult is it as a counselor to juggle all of that? And then not only that, but then 
you have a, you have a, you know, you have a family, you have a home life too, and things outside of your job. How difficult is it? Or how do you, I mean, how do you do it? I guess is my question. How do you juggle all of that? I don't know. Like, <laughs> there we go. Next question. No. <laughs> Carefully, I don't know. I don't know that I ever mastered it. Honestly, like I had 200 athletes to one, to me, one person. So people watch the show and think I just had football, but I had six sports, 200 athletes total that I was working with. This show just, just centered around football. Sure. And I had to start kind of getting a prioritizing system in place because I couldn't, you know, I couldn't treat everyone the way that I treated Ronald Ollie. Like I, there wasn't enough of me for everyone to get the Ronald Ollie experience. And so I had to start kind of putting a system in place based on some, some just requirements, you know, what their needs were. And then I had to kind of put a tier system in place as to what kind of services they got from me, basically just to keep myself sane. Um, you know, and it's, and I don't know that I ever really mastered that honestly, cause I wanted to save everyone and I wanted to like, you know, help everyone. And I think, you know, I don't know that I ever really mastered that. Um, I did some things just to master the home life balance. Um, you know, like I would, I would, I had a work cell phone. So I had a phone that was turned on 24 seven for athletes to call or text. But after a certain time at night, I would just put it up because I mean, I could, you know, I, you can't ever have a life if you're constantly tied to that phone. And so I would tell the athletes, look, you can text me whenever, whenever you think of something, if you're thinking of, Oh, I have that quiz and I need her to help me study. You can text it to me now at midnight, but I'm not going to respond at midnight. You know, the phone has been put away and I've moved, I'm, I'm at home now or, um, I just had kind of these boundaries for myself to keep myself separated in that way. Um, sure. You know, and that sometimes the coaches didn't like it. Like they expect, you know, answer the phone whenever I call type of thing, but I had to do it to keep my sanity. I mean, it wasn't about just to mm-hmm. keep your sanity and, and be your best when you walk in the door every day. I had to have a break um, and separate myself from it. Yeah. And you're not a, you're not a robot. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. But I mean, it's all on the show. Like I really didn't have that much of a life. Like, I, I mean, I was so mentally exhausted by the time I got home and, you know, I got home, I picked my daughter up from, she went to the boys and girls club there. And I mean, I wasn't even picking her up until, you know, five thirty, six o'clock at night. I mean, so by the time I got home, you know, did what I needed to do with her, got her in bed. I mean, I drank my glass of wine and then I was like, yeah, you know, so I didn't really have much of a personal life to say the least. Well, I feel like that, yeah. and you you can speak to this better than uh, most people. But I think it's with a show like that. I think some people have this um, perception that they just follow you around and you're able to do your normal thing. But right, but there's you have to do interviews. You have to they have to get certain shots. So it it really is. I can't even imagine how stressful and how tiring that would be. So when they first started, when they first came to you guys and wanted to shoot that show, how how long did it take you to get used to that whole that whole circus. <laughs> um, two years. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> um, I don't know that you ever get used to it. I mean, I don't know. I guess, I guess I got used to it. I don't know that I got comfortable with it. You know, sure. I guess there's sure. a difference here. Um, the thing that 
that really worked for me. And I don't know where I got this knowledge from. I think it was something bigger than myself that told me to ask for this because I would have had no way of knowing. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, I asked for the same crew. So oh. when they started explaining how it was going to go and the producer mm -hmm. sat down and said, like, we're going to have three crews. One crew will follow you. One crew will follow Coach Stevens. And then one crew will be like the players. So they'll float. And we may take one, if there's not a lot going on with you, we may take your crew off of you and move it, you know, if there's something else. But for the most part, that's what, how this will go. And so every morning at 7 a.m., you know, your crew will be waiting for you and y'all will work out the logistics of like, they'll always be in your office. And I ask immediately before I sign the contract, if I could have the same crew. So I wanted the same people in my office every day. I didn't want it to there to be, you know, them to switch out or I wanted the same cameraman, the same sound tech, the same PA, the yeah. same producer with me all the time. Um, I have no idea how I knew to ask for that. Um, but I did. And it, and it was the smartest thing I did because it ended up, I was never comfortable necessarily with like the chaos or the, the equipment, but I was comfortable with the people. Yeah. You know, after, after three months, four months, you get to know the camera guy and you love him. And you, when the camera's off, I mean, I'm finding out about his life and, you know, and, and, and I get to know, you just get to know everybody. And so you become comfortable with them hmm. and there's a trust that's built with them where I trust them and they trust me. And, um, and you get to, you know, there's, there, there it grows. You're, you're, comfortability mm -hmm. or if that's even a word grows because of those people sure. um the chaos and like the being surrounded all the time with that many people I never got used to was, uh, like mm -hmm. there were times where I would just take rip my mic off and say like I, I no and I would go get in my car <laughs> drive around oh, scuba oh. for like 30 mm -hmm. minutes because I just oh. wanted to be alone like you just I just would be like Ugh, you know, get right. away from me and get, I mean, oh. even when I went to the bathroom, like the mic was, when I got to work every morning, they would mic me up. And so like they had all this stuff, depending on what I was wearing, if I was wearing a dress or pants, like they had different mics for different outfits. And, but I mean, they would tape all this to my body. And even when I went to the bathroom, I can't, you can't take the mic off. And so I would have to say like, Hey, I have to go to the bathroom. Can you please turn the mic off? Because they would have to turn it off on their end. And then I'm just trusting that like they did it. And right. <laughs> and oh my gosh. And so, you know, you're just never, there's oh, never man. escaping your brain that people are listening right. to every word you say, you know? And wow. I'm stressed yeah, out listening to this. This is too much for me just listening. I know. To I'm like this. I'm like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I'm like, I'm, you sound like, you sound like me. I'm an ex, I call myself an extroverted introvert. Yeah. So like I very much can extrovert when I need to and have conversations and talk and, and with your job, I mean, like, I can't even imagine the level of emotional and just like the depth of things that you guys get into. Um, but then at the end of the day, it's like, okay, nobody talked to me, nobody know. So I can't, yeah, I'm so stressed listening to all of that just now. I value, I value my alone time for sure. Like, yeah. and I used to get, before we started filming the show, you know, I would have all these players in my office and then they would go to class, like the, 
the bell would ring. I mean, not really in college, but kind of, you know, it would be 930. And so at 925, I would be like, hey, guys, you got to go, go to your 930. Well, then I would have, I would have emptiness, you know, my office would be quiet, no one would be in there. And I would have time to do my work and time to just breathe and get myself prepared for the next shift when they all flooded in again. But then Mm -hmm. once we started filming the show, like that was when we would do the interviews of like what had just happened, right. you know? And so I, or, or if we weren't doing interviews, I mean, they were still sitting there cause they just sat there and stared at me yeah. <laughs> until something happened and then they would, you know, turn the camera on. So I just, oh never, I didn't never had that, those moments of just being alone, um, right. which was weird. Well, yeah. yeah. Well, oh, that'd be tough for sure. Um, yeah. So mm-hmm. something I'm really, really interested in, and it's, I guess it's kind of a two-part question. So since there were cameras um, around you guys all the time, was that something that had to be ever had to be addressed with the football players um, that you were working with? And then also, did that ever become an issue with the other sport athletes that you had to work like with? Does that, does that, make, does that question make sense? Yeah, yeah. I imagine yeah. that could be a problem potentially. Yeah. yeah. Well, and there were some, there were some football players that did not want to be on camera. Like they didn't want to be in the show at all. So I would respect that. I mean, if they needed to see me and I knew that I kind of, you start to learn who those players are that really didn't want to be on camera, then I would just say, Hey, can y'all turn everything off and get out for a second? Like Mm -hmm. I really need to have a conversation. Um, And sometimes my mic would probably still be on, but I mean, they were, would respect the fact that this player did not want to be on the show. And so I would have okay. to have that, those conversations um, privately. There were, there were probably some conversations that we did the same thing with, maybe even with, you know, Ronald Ollie, or if it was a very sensitive subject and something that we weren't putting on the show, you know, mm-hmm. um, if, if, I mean, look, there's, we're still living our lives. And these players are still going through normal college athlete life stuff. And I mean, you got to take care of the human being first. And so, you know, there were moments where we would say like, no, cut it off, you know, and, and, um, and they were totally respectful for that, to that. I mean, that they were a great crew and we never had issue with that. Um, I feel like there were a lot of times that, you know, coach Stevens kicked them out of, stuff um maybe not in the best way but you know he started to realize that it was taking like taking away from like the football or or they weren't focused on what they need to be focused on and he would kick the cameras out um we had some situations like that in the classroom like where you know teachers would agree to do it let the cameras in the classroom and then when it when they got in there the teacher would be like I can't I can't like I can't do this and so we would have to say like okay um so, yeah, I mean, that happens for sure. With the other sports, I mean, a lot of times, once we got going, the crew knew who the football team was. I mean, look, they they were friends. Like, they knew these guys, too. They were there, and they knew them, and they knew their stories. And so they got really good at being able to identify who wasn't a football player, and they would just turn the cameras off. I mean, they just wouldn't cool. film, you know, the other sports. But I still had to work with them, and so – you know, I would have to ask them to leave the room if another sport athlete came in or, um, I mean, you know, it, it was a lot of work to just yeah. do my job. Like right. things I just would do now I was right. having to put forth effort to explain or, 
communicate or ask, you know, when before I just did it. And so yeah. there was a lot of extra communication that had to happen to make it all wow. work. Well, I, now, did I, you I, have I, the same crew? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Did you, me and Josh, me and Josh talk over each other all the time on this. <laughs> <It's> okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we have so many yeah. questions. We're very, um, we're very you, excited. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Did you, did you have the same crew in both seasons? Were you... For the most part, I had a different, my sound guy in season one did not return to the season two. Mm -hmm. um, so I had a different sound tech, but I had him pretty early. Like he, he came on pretty early before the book, like right, what would happen is the, they would come in in the summer and start filming this season two, but you know, not all of them were, it, the bulk of it would happen in the fall, obviously. Right. And Alex came in pretty early, so I got to know him pretty quick. Um, but other than that, everybody else was exactly the same for both seasons. So, I mean, it's two years where you're around yeah. the same people. Right. And for the most part, the whole crew, which was a lot of people, I don't know how many total, but, I mean, a, it was a large crew. And for the most part, the whole crew was the same for two years, um, oh, which good. makes it, yeah, makes it a whole lot easier. Yeah. And I think my, my people are still on the show. Um, my cameraman is not. He's no longer with Last Chance U, but my sound tech is still with Last Chance U. Yeah. My storyline producer. Like, they're still kind of all together. So it's been fun yeah. for me to continue to follow it just because of them. Yeah, that's cool. cool. Yeah, one of my yeah. – uh, last night I was just doing, like, a really quick um, recap of, of kind of the stuff that went on. Um, and one of the things that I thought was so cool in that last your your last season, I think it was the I think it was the last episode or second to last episode was um, I, I think through the entire series you could tell that your athletes just loved you and had a lot of respect for you. But in one of those last two episodes, when they were basically saying, "Hey," when you were asking, "Like, hey, what should I do about this this leaving situation?" Like, just the words that they spoke to you um, was really moving, and I think it's just an awesome testament to like, all the work that you had poured into them. Um, all those yeah. years. So, I mean, it's kind of a silly question, but like how much did that, those types of things mean to you? And I'm sure those are just a few that were shown on camera. I'm sure that yeah. there were a ton of other athletes that just shared that kind of love, but like, how did that make you feel? Yeah. You know, it's, it's a great feeling to know that it's reciprocated. Like yeah. when you're in a teacher role or a counselor role, you're giving and you're giving and you're giving. And sometimes there's not an opportunity for there to be any reciprocation. And I feel like that was the beauty of our relationship was that it often was reciprocated. And I was going through, you know, I went through a divorce while I was working there. I was a single mom raising a toddler by myself while I was living there. Like I lived in this crap town, you know, you saw it on, like, it just, like there was a lot in my life. I was in a weird period of my life and I, and, and I didn't, you know, I, look, I'm a human being. And so I would come in sometimes and just like spill how miserable I was as a person, you know, <laughs> in that kind of moment of my life. And I think that that is one of the things that connected us is that they saw that like, I'm not perfect. I'm not up here. You're not down here. I am fighting this. I am fighting too. Like, I don't want to be here any more than you want to be here. I, you know, I'm struggling. <laughs> like I have $7 in my bank account and I can't pay my bill. You know I mean? I was just honest with them yeah. about my life too, which I think really created a bond and a trust to see that we're, you know, we were all struggling. Um, 
And I got some flack after season two came out for, for talking about leaving, you know, in front of the players. Coach Stevens was pretty vocal about, you know, being upset that I had talked about taking another job or leaving and how unprofessional that was. And I mean, I understand that perspective. At the same time, I don't think anybody, including Coach Stevens, understood the relationship that the players and I had. And right. I would have never talked about that stuff. I'm, I wasn't unprofessional. I would have never talked about that stuff with, with athletes that I didn't have that reciprocation and who didn't know. I wasn't just throwing it out there that I was looking for another job. But there were a group of athletes that, I mean, they were like my children. I mean, <laughs> you know, and, and there was, they knew, they could tell and they knew when, when I was off or like when I wasn't happy or when things were going on and I was open and honest with them about it. And I, I don't regret that one bit. And I don't think it's unprofessional. I think it was just like being a human being. Yeah. Um, and you know, that scene where the player is Jay Johnson, where Jay Johnson is telling me like, look, you've, you've pushed us to pursue our dreams and now it's your turn. I mean, I could get choked up just like talking about it because I, I would, People ask me, like, how did you stay there for eight years? Why did you stay there for eight years? And a lot of times it was because there would be that one guy. Like, I would think, like, mm-hmm. I, can't, I can't leave because I can't leave him. Mm-hmm. When he graduates, I'll take another job. And then there would be another one. And, then another. It, and like, there was always that one, one or two mm-hmm. players, you know, that I just felt like if I leave, they won't make it. And mm-hmm. I can't bear that responsibility. So, like, I've got to stay to see him through. And to have Jay, who would have been one of those players that I would have been like, I can't leave until I know he's safe. To have him say, no, no, like quit sacrificing yourself for us. Like you go be great. Like go do what, you know, it's your turn. And like, just to have him have that wisdom and that reciprocate that care and concern for me um, was huge. And honestly, I don't know that I would have been brave enough to do it had they not said to me, you can do this, go do it. I, I probably would still be sitting there just because wow. I wouldn't have had the, I wouldn't have been brave enough to walk away yeah. from it had they not kind of pushed me to do that. It's almost like they had their chance to counsel you for a second. Yeah. yeah like, it was like yeah. Role reversal. Type. And it was yeah. beautiful. Yeah. And like, yeah. you know, I do, I get emotional just thinking about it, but I think that, was such a beautiful moment and such a beautiful scene. And I hate that it got kind of got ruined, you know, by people talking about my unprofessionalism. I'm like, ah, oh, you're missing the point, you know, like, right. Right. <laughs> yeah. But cause it was a great mm-hmm. scene. And um, yeah, those guys were awesome. So yeah. yeah. I'm a, I'm a big fan of, of Jay, especially after rewatching it last night. Um, he has had some really good scenes. Um, you know, obviously that scene was, was a huge one, but then there was a scene, I think in a, maybe an earlier middle part of the season where he's talking to you. And I think he's talking to Cam about some stuff that Cam was dealing with. Yep. Um, yep. About, the fight with the coach. Yeah. Well, he said, you have the size. Cam was talking yes. about playing in Alabama. He was like, you have the size to play at Alabama, but you don't have the mental. Yeah. To play it out. Great. I mean, yeah. Great. Like yeah. Jay was, Jay was, I always said, that Jay was like wise beyond his years. Like he, he was like the, the dad, you know, like in the <laughs> athlete's body. Like he was really <laughs> That's funny. I told my wife and I were watching last night. I told my wife that exact same, same thing. I'm like, yeah. I said, he's almost, I mean, 
you were sitting there listening to this conversation. It's like, you didn't even say anything in that scene. It's like, he was doing all the talking. It's like, that's yeah. gotta be an amazing feeling. It's like, you're almost seeing yourself come out through, out, come out through the athletes. Like, Oh, well, I've kind of done a pretty good job here. I think. <laughs> yeah. I just would let, you know, another guy that kind of would do that sometime would be Deandre Johnson, the quarterback. Yeah. And yes. Yeah. He, he would stay staff and I would think, Oh my gosh, like I, I wouldn't have even come up with that. Like yeah. <laughs> you just nailed it. Like, you know, they, yeah. I mean, they're some pretty smart cookies and it, and it's funny because I feel like they would often help each other out Yeah, and they were smart enough to see it in somebody else. But a lot of times not, not to make their own decision for themselves. Oh, you know? interesting. And Jay was so wise and could really was so wise with all of his teammates but when it came to himself and the decisions that he made for himself, you know, he, he wasn't there. I mean, he wouldn't make the same decisions for himself that he was telling his teammates to make for themselves. Right. Um, you know, and that's, there's a whole psychology behind that, I guess, but it was always so interesting just to be a fly on the wall and let them like, let them go, like let them talk and uh, yeah. to sit back and just listen to what they said. So interesting. That's really cool. Wow. I'm going to um, awesome. kind of take it in a, in a more serious direction. So obviously if anybody's watched the show um, and if anybody hasn't, the, the majority of the athletes that you mentor and, and advise are African-American. Um, and so obviously with everything going on surrounding the, the tragic murder of George Floyd and, you know, all of the protesting and the rioting, um, I saw in one of your most recent Instagram posts, you kind of shared some thoughts about everything that's going on. And I imagine that when you see things like this, especially in this moment right now, it's got to be difficult for you because I imagine that when something like that happens, you're seeing the faces of your athletes. Um, would you mind just sharing a little bit about just your thoughts and everything that's going on right now? Yeah. You know, I, I feel like I've been advocating for equality for a long time <laughs> And I grew up in a state where, you know, I think we get the, it's, it's the state that everyone wants to slap the label of racism on. Like everyone wants to think that it's the South's fault or it's only happening in the South or, it's, you know, Mississippi. If Missis, I saw a post lately that was like, if Mississippi can do it, why can't we? And I'm thinking, that's a big assumption about Mississippi, first of all especially for people that have never been there. Um, you know, but, but I think that I've, I've been, because I was, because I am from Mississippi, I think I, I just, it's always been something that I've been aware of. I, there's never been a time in my life where I wasn't aware that of, of like, not of racism, not, not racism, but of just like oppression. Like, because I don't, in, in Mississippi, believe it or not, I didn't grow up seeing a whole lot of racism, like blatant racism. But I saw a lot of, a lot of effort to oppress people. And I think, mm -hmm. you know, I think when we, if we look at it from a bigger picture, like, I don't think it takes, it's awful what's happening and in no way should it happen. But I, I'm almost shocked that like we haven't figured out that it, that it takes it takes a, a, a policeman murdering a, young, a black man for us to figure out that racism exists. 
I, I, I'm just mm-hmm. appalled by that. I'm like, where is everyone living that, that they are all of a sudden shocked that racism exists? Like I see it, I see it in education. Like go into a public school in an inner city area and try to tell me that there isn't a thing as of that racism doesn't exist. I will call bullshit. Like I, it, I mean, when you have a town, I, I I'm from a suburb. I'm from a you know wealthier community in Mississippi. And when I when when those students go in to take the ACT test. They have everything they need to be successful in those four hours. They drive to the school in their, you know, BMWs, and they get out, and they're walking in in their North Face jackets because it's cold in February, and they sit in, I mean, they ate breakfast, their mom cooked them bacon and eggs, and they walk in, and they got their pencil, and they got their, and they took their ACT prep classes, and they're ready to go. And five miles down the road in inner city Jackson, Mississippi, you have kids walking to the school with no coat on, showing up. They haven't eaten in three days because the last time they ate was the free meal at lunch on a Friday. Nobody gave a flying flip if they were taking the ACT or prepared for it. They had no preparation for it other than their normal classes that they go to where their teachers are underpaid and underprepared to even teach them. And they walk in and the the heater is broken. And so it's, it's a 32 degree day in Jackson, Mississippi. And in the building, it's only 38. And they're supposed mm-hmm. to sit down and take a test for four hours and concentrate. And then we, white people <laughs> with privilege, would say, well, they had the same opportunity everybody else had. They took the same test. No, they didn't. That's not the same opportunity. And, and, mm-hmm. and it exists only because of their socioeconomic status. I mean, that exists because of where they live, which is based on their socioeconomic status. And we have oppressed a people so greatly that we have separated the have and the have nots based on basically color. And so when you won't hire people and when you won't educate people and when you won't give people an opportunity because of their color, you now have segregated them, whether you want to call it that or not, that's what you're doing. You're segregating them into a section of your city that you are not going to fund. You're not going to put money into that school because your white kid doesn't go there. You've pulled your white kid out and you've pulled your white kid out and you've moved to the suburb and you're going to fund that school. And all the people that make the money are going to pay taxes in that county and that county is going to fund that school. And guess what's not getting funded? This school where the black kids live or the minority kids live. And so, like, that is racism. We don't call it that because we have a whole lot of other politically correct terms that we call it. But that's what it is. You're not giving those kids the same right to an education that you're giving other children. And when you do that, it's racist. We will not solve this problem. And, and you know, it's we, we segregate based on socioeconomic status. We segregate based. I mean, I heard somebody say the other day, you know, affirmative action it, has existed for a long time based on a lot of other things, you know, other than 
other than color of skin. Like we we do this to people all the time. We 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 did it to immigrants six months ago. Do we did we forget that? Like we, <laughs> you know, we, we did it to women six months before that. Like I don't, you know, it's kind of shocking to me that all of a sudden it like we are opening our eyes to something that has existed for a long time. And, and for me, I see it everywhere I go play out in our education system. I mean, you know, I, it, it just appalls me to go into some of these schools and see the inequality in how we're educating our students based on how much money they have. And, that, and they, didn't, they didn't ask to be born into that. Like, no, you know, they don't ask to be born into the socioeconomic status that they're born into. And how do we expect anyone to ever rise above if we don't give them the opportunity to rise above? And when you're squashing a certain people into a school that you're not going to do anything to better, you're telling them every single day they don't matter. Every single day, you're saying when they walk in that school and they see the crap that surrounds them, it, you're screaming at them, you don't matter. You don't matter. These white kids down the street who have money. And I, that breaks my heart. It breaks my heart. And I saw it played out after 18 years. I mean, these athletes would come to me after 18 years of walking into a school knowing that nobody cared about them and that they didn't matter. And then they're showing up you know, with an opportunity and, and, and I'm supposed to convince them like you do matter after, you know, th they've been shown and told for that many years that, that they don't. I mean, it's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. And until we figure that out, like until we decide that we can all go to school together, <laughs> we can all, you know, we, that it doesn't matter, that, that money has absolutely zero factor in the ability to learn. Like, show me statistics that say that a child in Calvin Klein is smarter than a child in, you know, Walmart brand. It doesn't exist because it's dumb. But we have made up that, like, money somehow equals intelligence. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I just, it clearly you can tell <laughs> that I'm passionate about it, but it aggravates me that we simplify racism in that way. Like that now we've simplified it to just police and black men. It's not that simple. Like, <laughs> you know, it's, we're, we're living it out. We all are living it out every day in how we live the communities we move to the school systems we support the 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 educate the activities we we're playing it out every day and until we decide that it's not okay you know i, I don't i don't know that any policy or political whatever you want to call it is going to solve it until we decide that like, it's just not okay. It's not okay. And I get, I get fired up about it in education because I, I've just seen it, you know, so many times where kids just are not given the opportunity to learn and they're not given the opportunity to learn because of money, you know, and you look at technology and how technology is playing into education these days. And, you know, everybody thinks it's so great. And, 
I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I, you know, it's, it is great. But at the same time, what if, you know, there are kids out there that don't have Wi-Fi. that don't have, so what are they supposed to do? Like, how are they supposed to take, do their homework and their online quiz at night that you're putting up on a website now, rather than handing out a worksheet? Like what, because they don't have the ability to do it. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and I just, sometimes I wonder, like, am I, the, is anybody else? <laughs> like, am I the only one? Thanks. Right. Like, what about that kid? And, you know, and I don't know. It's just sad to me that we, and we have this expectation, like the ACT test of like, well, everybody's getting the same, everybody's taking the same test. Everybody's getting the same opportunity. But, you know, I have a line I say in my speeches, I don't, an opportunity isn't an opportunity if you're not willing to provide the resources necessary to be successful. Mm. Right. Right. Like, to me, that's an opportunity that what that is, is an opportunity for us to pat ourselves on the back and say, oh, well, mm. we tried. Mm. We tried. Interesting. Wow. Yeah. Throughout, I mean, I've, throughout this whole movement, I've been a very just big sit back and listen and watch and I look at posts and I'm trying to learn more about just different people's perspective. I don't know that I've, what everything that you just said, I don't know that I've seen or read that perspective. So it just puts a whole different light, I think, into, in a good way. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. yeah. Cause I'm, I'm a teacher. So I'm, I live in the education system every single day and the things that you're saying, it like clicks. I'm like, Oh yeah, that's true. That's true. And that's true. <laughs> exactly. Everything. Yeah. And I mean, it's not all the time race, you know, I mean, I know that there are, right. there are poor white kids too. And, and like, you know, bottom line is if you're starving, you're not focused on a math test, you're focused on the right. fact that you're starving. And so like, mm-hmm. but it all plays into, um, you know, education and our ability to learn. And, um, you know, and I think the other side of that for me is that I don't know, like I, you know, and I said that in the letter that I wrote, like, I am white, and I grew up with privilege. I'm not only just white, I am privileged white. I have no freaking clue. I mean, I don't, I, I, I could work in an environment where I'm working with mostly, you know, black athletes, I can be from Mississippi, which some would say I may know better than others. I don't have a clue. (laughs) Because yeah, I mean, I didn't go through, I don't, I didn't have to live my life like that. Like, I don't have to think about, I, I can't imagine. I've had so many conversations with some of my like black parent friends who have said, you know, to have the conversation, to have to have the conversation with your child over and over and over again about like not even speeding, like you can't speed in, in, because if, because you'll get pulled over. And if you get pulled over, that's what this could mean for you. Now, it won't mean the same thing for your friend over here. Like, you can't, you can't buy into the peer pressure when you get behind the wheel of a car because you're black. Mm. I, I can't imagine having to have that conversation with my child. That is something yeah. I will not ever have to think about. My child yeah. getting pulled over by the police and, like, that escalating into death. Like, I will never have to worry about that as a parent. I can't imagine having to worry about that as a parent, like have to worry about your child doing everything right and still dying because of the color of their skin. I I don't, 
I can't imagine that. And that is so wrong on every level to be happening in the United States of America. It just is. Yeah. I don't care what side of the fence you are on on any any issue. That is wrong. Right. Yeah. Right. Agreed. Yeah. Well, and I think, um, you know, for anybody who hasn't seen the show before, I think everything you're saying right now is why you have such a great connection with, or you had such a great connection with those athletes is because you're not coming in with a, a certain mindset thinking like, this is the way to do it. This is what you should be doing. This is how you should be doing it. You come in with that empathetic mindset and empathetic heart and you understand you're just saying, Hey, you can't put your hands up, right? Like there's a lot that I don't understand, but like, mm-hmm. help me, help me to understand that. And I think that's why, you know, those athletes love you so much. I mean, everything that you just said, because they know they have someone that's fighting for them, not fighting for the way yeah. that they would like to see them do it. You know, here's a yeah. big thing. Yeah. Yeah. Look, I think everybody needs an advocate, you know, I mean, yeah. like I am where I am today because somebody believed in me. Hmm. Yeah. Like somebody took a chance. Somebody believed in me, whether it was my third grade mm-hmm. teacher or, you know, my high school English teacher or a college professor or my parents, like somebody saw something in me and believed in me. And there are, there are children and adults even out there that they've never had that experience. Like no one's ever looked at them and said, I believe in you. And, you know, I realized that very early on in my career that I was fortunate to come from the background that I came from and that a lot of people aren't. And to just be that person that says, there would be so many times where I would not know what to say. I would not know what to do. I would be faced with a situation and I would think I'm so inadequate as a counselor to handle this. I don't have the training. I don't have a PhD. Like, I don't know what to do. And I would simply stop and just look them in the eye and say, okay, I don't know what to do, but I, I believe in you. Wow. Like, that was just my go-to. Like, I don't know what to do. I believe in you and I believe we'll figure it out. Like you can do it. How are you going to do it? I don't know. We'll be like, give me a minute, but I know that you can do it. And I think so many times, like just to say that it just like, you know, it, it just takes everybody down to the point that, okay. You know, um, so that, yeah, I by no means have everything figured out. I never, I always felt, like I was just faking it till I made it. I mean, <laughs> every, day, every day I would walk in and yeah. think like, I hope nobody finds out that I really don't know what to do. That's awesome. I hope everyone just keeps believing that I got all, all this. You know? well, hey, it's, it's worked that out works. so far, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, hey, we want to we make sure we're respectful of your time. So I just have a couple more questions for you. Yeah, you um, I have to ask, kind of changing directions. How often do just random people on the street ask you for a pencil? Oh, the <laughs> all the I time. Can't, I can't imagine. <laughs> the point that I carry one. I have probably two or three in my purse right now. Like I pretty much carry two or three with me all the time um, because people will ask me or, or they'll just, if they don't ask me for one, they'll just ask like, if I have one, like, do you have a pencil and I'll hold it up or yeah. 
all the That's time. Funny. People give it to you. Like I've had people just walk up to me in the airport and hand me a pencil and walk off. And I'm like, uh, oh my gosh. <laughs> That's awesome. So, which leads me to my, my next question. Yeah. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about 10,000 pencils? Yeah. So 10,000 pencils, um, when I left the show and left scuba, I decided to start my own company. And so that's what 10,000 pencils in is. Um, now I'll be honest that the company is a fake it till you make it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> fake it till you make it thing too. That's awesome. I don't know what the hell I'm doing, but we, <laughs> we just go with it every day. So, you know, it started out with one kind of concept and then as it got going, it just changes based on whatever the needs of everybody else. So it started out really with the goal of being a consulting firm where I worked with administrators, teachers, counselors, schools, um, just on everything I just said. Like, I don't, you know, I don't think it takes money. I don't think it takes software. I think it takes human beings and relationship building. And I think anybody, if we can do that in scuba Mississippi with zero money than anybody in the, world can do it and so that's I go in with that I don't go in like selling a bunch of crap I go in with just myself and like okay trying to teach um how to better deal with these types of students and relationship building techniques and um so we started out with the goal like that's what we were going to do and then I was going to work individually with athletes still and that had some issues <laughs> so um I just strictly stuck to the schools, the teachers, to the adults. And then um, I started getting asked to speak at events all the time. And so that's kind of where we, I ran with that. So I do a lot of speaking and it's sometimes for student athletes, sometimes just big student groups, um, corporations, school districts, teachers, um, graduations. So I do a lot of speaking events and then I, we still do the consulting and working with teachers and training. I do some training for advisors and on the college level. Um, so it's been fun, but it's ever evolving. I mean, it's ever changing, ever evolving. I make it up as I go. Yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Like I said, it seems like it's worked out pretty well. <laughs> I like that. I mean, I mean, I've always, I kind of always said that too. Like, I don't know what I'm doing ever in life and anything ever. <laughs> And so for you to say that, I'm like, okay, that makes me feel better. Yeah. Although your caliber of what you're doing is way than what yeah. I do. I think, I think, but it's, it's nice to know that it's not just me. No, I don't think any of us know what we're doing. Well, no, that's what honest, I think. Like, I think we got a lot yeah. of people that think they know what they're doing. But if we're being honest, like, I don't mm -hmm. think anybody truly knows like what they're doing in every year of their life. Like everybody is figuring it out as they go along. Mm hmm I think so too. Yeah, yeah that makes me feel I a little think. bit better about myself. So that's good. I'm glad. <laughs> Brittany's Brittany's counseling us right now. I <laughs> know. I love it. I love it. Um, yeah, I, I feel yeah. like we have a, a million more questions. And I feel like there's gonna be people that are listening to this that are gonna be screaming at their uh, at their phones. Like, why didn't you ask about Ollie or why didn't you ask about, you know, this this athlete or that athlete? I will say though, Ollie's I think gotta be one of the favorite characters of all four seasons just the funniest yeah. like it was always fun to see him come across the screen and like I was telling you my co-worker Shireen and I when we first started watching the show that was the first thing we said like how much do you love that dude Ollie he's just the coolest guy he is definitely the fan favorite I mean he yeah. is definitely I think of all four seasons he's 
he's the guy that everybody just loves and like always wants to know about everywhere I go, you know, people want to know about him and um, yeah, he's great. What now? And I don't know if you feel comfortable answering this, but was it tough seeing him on hard knocks? Cause I know that that was kind of a big deal when, you know, that season came out and they said, Hey, uh, Ollie from uh, last chance he was on there. And then you see what happens. Was that tough for you to see? Yeah, I didn't. Um, I, I knew though before I had talked to Ollie oh. through the whole thing. Cool. And so I knew what had happened um, and I knew it from Ollie's perspective. Like Ollie's pretty smart with this whole fame yeah. thing. Like he can figure out when he's being played. Sure. And he knew, he knew that he had been mm -hmm. brought there for the sole purpose of like gaining fans and it's recognizable he, from the other he show. Picked up, he picked up what Gruden was planning the whole time, I think. Yeah. Um, and it was disappointing for him because, look, all he wants is an opportunity and he wants to be treated the same as everybody else. Like, he doesn't want special treatment because he's famous. He wants to be – he just wants the fair opportunity. And, you know, I think he, there was this all this excitement surrounding the Raiders picking him up and then it started becoming clear, mm -hmm. like, why they were picking him up. And, you know, I think they played all that out yeah. for yeah. media attention and for the cameras and, and for hard knocks and to gain fans and to gain viewership. And that sucks. Um, you know, I was just sad because at one point Dakota got sent to them too. And I was like, I just don't want anybody ever playing for them again. Like I'm so sure. mad at that whole organization. <laughs> like yeah. I don't want any of my players <laughs> going to that team ever. Um, yeah. You know, I, your mouth. yeah. I mean, I mean, you know, and I don't know them. That's not fair for me to judge, but just from Ollie's perspective, like that's kind of, but he had prepared me. So when I was nice. actually watching it, I wasn't as angry, I guess, you know, I sure. kind of knew. Um, and I quit the minute that they had that scene. I was like, okay, off, not watching done. another minute. Like I'm done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They actually I'm tried sorry. to get me to come. Oh, oh they really, they really went for it. <laughs> oh yeah. They were going to go for the whole moment. They tried oh, to get gosh. me to come to LA um, for the preseason game where the Rams played the Raiders because it was going to be Dakota and Ollie playing mm -hmm. each other. And they were trying to maximize they were going to play it up. Social media, Brittany, Dakota, Ollie reunion, you know, and all of this. Oh, well, they called so me. Yeah. They called me and the date, like they called me like the week before they wanted me there. And I couldn't, I had a speaking engagement and I couldn't, I wasn't going to cancel, you know, and so I couldn't come. And so I said, I said, okay, well, why don't we fast forward? Like, why don't I come another time? Like when they play each other, you know, you like, I had done my research and so I was like, why don't I come trying to still make it happen? And the guy on the phone who was the producer of Hard Knocks was like, We don't Ollie won't we don't think Ollie will still be there. Oh mm. so crazy. And yeah, it's not gonna make you happy. Yeah. You're like, um <laughs> and I never I didn't tell him in that moment because I didn't wanna like bust his bubble. He was so excited, but Sure. But I kind of clued in right. at that moment. Like, I kind of was like, okay, what is going on here? This and then right. the more that right. he started talking to me about things, I knew. And, and so I never, at that point, I was like, I'm mm. not going. Like, you are not using this. Right. Yeah, no way. Right, heck no. You were no, sure. yeah. no way. They ruined it. Yeah, nice they try, guys. It. Yeah. <laughs> nice job. <laughs> uh, that's, uh, that's crazy. So, okay, last question, I promise. This will be my last one. 
Um, so obviously this is the character combine podcast with character being in the title. Um, the whole goal of seeing athletes and coaches, you know, live and compete at the highest level of character. So to you, how would you define character and then why is it so important for people to live with? Wow. I think character is that there's a definition out there that somebody came up with that I love and that it's, you know, character is how you act, what you do when no one else is watching. And I think that that is, that's always stuck in my mind. Um, I think that's true. You know, I think it's easy to play the game on social media or for the snippets of your life where you're out there and people are watching and it's, but it's harder to do to live that consistently, um, you know, forever for a long period of time or when nobody does care. And I think, do we slip and fall and like have moments where we're, we're stepping out of that character? Absolutely. And that is not, that doesn't mean that you're not of that, character it means you're a human being and you had a moment and that's okay but like how do you respond how do you get yourself back up to where you need to be I think is the key there um look I think in today's world character I I, you know is like it is required I mean it like it it has got to start being required clearly it is not required in today's world but it needs to start being required you know and I said it the other day someone asked me in an interview what the most important quality I think thought a human being could have and I and I was like oh gosh but I'm I'm like standing with my answer of awareness because when Mm -hmm. I think when you have awareness of other awareness. Now, I don't think you have one without the other. I think when you have self-awareness and awareness of others, like you're living a different standard. You're living in a different space because you're, you're thinking of, of other people and yourself at the same time. So you're not selling out your own needs, your own, you know, um, requirements for other people, but you're also not a narcissist and only thinking about yourself and not thinking about other people. I think there's a balance there. And to me, that's where character lives in that balance of awareness of other people and yourself. Like that's where true character lives. Um, You know, I think if we had, if we had standards and look, I don't care what they are. Like you don't have to believe the same things that I believe. We don't have to agree on everything. I don't, I don't necessarily care what your, what your beliefs and your standards are, but have them. And like, if we're, if we're living in that, in that realm of, of, of our of character of our beliefs and of our standards and like we're towing that line for the most part every day then I don't think a lot of stuff that's going on today is going on like you know I think we were all in that space like we're just not dealing with the stuff we're dealing with right now Mm -hmm. right um and so I just I think it's important for the world I also feel like you're not going to be your best self like you're not going to live your best life and be your best self if you don't have a standard to live to. You're just not. And so, you know, I mean, for these young people who are just like floating through life one like at a time, like get it together. Like that is not going to cut it. I mean, you know, I'm sorry, but like social media is not going to pull you through to your best life. Like put your phone down and get it together. I mean, (laughs) get a standard and like get some goals and get some dreams and like do some work. Like, let's go. Yeah. (laughs) I I think 
all of that is character. Like that is what character is all about. It's not selling out, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, it's easy to sell out these days. It's so easy to sell out to, to what's trending at the moment, you know, and, and, but that's not true character. Um, true character doesn't sell out ever. Right. Love Love it. It. That's a great place yeah. to, that's a great place to end this thing. That was awesome. Drop the mic. <laughs> yeah. Um, where, <laughs> where can they, where can they follow you? Where can they follow 10,000 pencils? All that. Yeah. Um, so my Twitter and Instagram handle are Brittany underscore MS girl from Mississippi. They're the same Brittany underscore MS girl. Um, I have a Facebook fan page that I don't update very much. (laughs) (laughs) I have, um, a website, BrittanyWagner.com is where you can book me for speaking engagement or for consulting with a school. Um, so yeah, there you go. Cool. Sweet. Well, thank you so much. It was definitely an honor and uh, yeah. we had a great time talking to you. So uh, thank you so much. And uh, wish we could have you on for like five more hours. Thank yeah, five you. more hours. I know, I know. <laughs> you are not lying. <laughs> soccer practice with my daughter. Sorry. <laughs> we should have scheduled around soccer practice. Our fault. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> well, Brittany, thank you so much and uh, stay you. safe and healthy. Thank you. You guys too.